lots of you don't know this because I don't talk about it very much, but um, I grew up with very, very wealthy grandparents um, on my mother's side. Um, and when they passed away, they donated all of their money to charity. So I don't have any of that money now. But growing up, um, I grew up with incredibly wealthy grandparents. It was kind of a little bit, particularly birthdays and Christmases became a little bit, almost kind of embarrassing and awkward because they were very wealthy. They were also very generous. And uh, so growing up, we just got these extraordinary gifts, uh, and particularly at birthday and Christmas time. And I remember coming to my 18th birthday, I was kind of nervous about what grandma and grandpa would do. And when it came to the day, um, grandpa just gave me a small box. That was it. And I would be honest, there's a part of me that's a little bit like, wow, really? That was kind of it. I was, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I wasn't thinking this small box. Until I opened the box and inside was a single key, a key to a Ferrari 348 Spider that my grandfather uh, was giving me for my 18th birthday. I don't talk about it much because it's a little bit embarrassing, but I actually still have that car. Uh, I don't drive it, I keep it in store. In fact, I only drove it maybe a couple of times after I was 18, I, just because, you know, I'd been given this Ferrari. And I, so I drove it a couple of times, but um, that Ferrari is still in storage and has been all of these years. Uh, a lot of people, don't, maybe my own children, don't actually know that, um, that I own this uh, ridiculously expensive Ferrari that's virtually brand new. I know, okay. <laughs> so no one believes me, right? <laughs> My grandparents were dirt poor. I don't have a Ferrari. Um, I, just, I just like watching the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone was willing to take it off your hand. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And, and you know partly why you don't believe me? Is because if I have Ferrari, I would be driving it, right? I would be talking about it, and you would be seeing it. If someone gave me a gift like that, I would not be keeping it a secret. If you were given an amazing gift like that, you would be using it, right? You would be talking about it. You would be sharing it. You would not be sticking it in a shed and never using it. We're in a series that we're calling Gifted. We're looking at the uniqueness and the wonder that exists inside all of us. We began this series saying that each one of us is created by God. We're, we're created uh, by God on purpose and we're created by God for a purpose. None of us is an accident. Um, none of us is here just because of some weird evolutionary thing that happened that we're here uh, by design and by the purpose of the God that created us. We spent last week talking about the spiritual gifts, the unique gifts that God puts inside every believer, inside every Christian. Uh, we said that spiritual gifts are special abilities given to a Christian by God for the purpose of building up the church, the uh, purpose of building up God's people. And we got really practical and uh, took that sort of assessment together and it gave uh, many of us an idea of what the gift or gifts are that God has put inside us. For some of us, that was a kind of confirmation of things that we've sort of known about, Some for some of us for a long time. For others, it was a kind of a brand new process and we saw ideas and we saw words and we saw things that we'd never really thought about before. So for some of us, it was a bit of a sort of an awakening moment of going, wow, yeah, I kind of get that this is something that God has put inside me. Knowing a gift is one thing, but a gift is wasted if it never gets used. And so um, 
We're going to talk really practically uh, over this week about how we use our spiritual gifts because we're not the first people who've wrestled with this question of, well, you know, what do I do with the gift that God's given me? The early church faced the same question as they were exploring the gifts that God had given them and all of a sudden church was looking different. It wasn't just about someone up the front, a priest up the front doing something for them that all of a sudden believers realised that the Holy Spirit of God existed inside them and that they had gifts to control tribute to the life of the church. And so the, the, the leaders of the early church spoke a lot about what we do with what God's put inside us. Uh, Peter wrote um, in one of his letters, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's handiwork, we're created by God, we're his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The God creators actually to do something. He didn't just create us to kind of sit on a shelf and look good. He created us to do good works. When Paul writes to the church in Rome about spiritual gifts, we read last week a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and what he said about gifts there. But when he wrote to the church in Rome, our book of Romans, he talked about spiritual gifts there too. And he said this, he said, Just as each one of us has one body with many members and not all members have the same function, so in Christ... We who are many are one body and each member belongs to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace God's given us. It's the same kind of teaching, the same things that he was writing to the Corinthians. He goes on, he said, if one's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouragement, let him encourage. If it's giving, let him give generously. If it's leading, let him lead with diligence. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul's saying, whatever gift you've got, do it. Use it. If you've been given this gift, go. If you've been given this gift, go do that thing. And Paul doesn't say it here, but, but uh, when you read the rest of Paul, it's pretty clear that he means not just kind of casually in your spare time. Paul talks about serving God wholeheartedly. In fact, Paul says about his own life, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. Paul says, my, my only goal in life is to do the thing that God's created me to do. To take the gifts, to take what God's put inside me and to use that for what he's called me to. That's the only thing I want to do with my life. Jesus said to his followers, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that, you may, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that you were made to do something. You, you were made with a purpose, just like salt and, life have a, salt and light have a clear purpose, that you were made with a clear purpose. He said, and if you're not doing what you're made to do, well, he said, if salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. 
I know it's a whole lot of, you know, kind of jumping through the Bible, but I, I just I want you to see how central the idea is to the New Testament church that we are to use the gifts that God's given us. God's put something inside each of you. He's put something inside each of you to be used. And not using that thing is like having a Ferrari in storage. It just doesn't make sense, does it? It's sad for you. It's sad for those who will benefit from the gift that God's put inside you. And it's also, in a way, it's sad for the giver of the gift. I mean, imagine in my slightly fictitious Ferrari story, you know, how disappointed that imaginary grandfather would be to know that he'd given this gift and that there it is sitting in storage, never driven, never used. So, if we're going to roll up our sleeves and start to use our gifts practically, what does that look like? Let me say, start by saying the same thing that I said a couple of times last week, is that the assessment that you took last week is just a start. It's just an idea. It's just something to sort of point you in a general direction of something that you can try. Because spiritual gifts are really just like your natural talents. You have to develop them and grow them for them to really be of value. You know, you don't play AFL in primary school, do you? You know, people might see a talent for you. They might, you know, people, you might play a bit of football and people might say there's something in you, but you have to develop that talent. You have to learn more about it. Uh, you have to develop it. You have to experience it and practice it and practice more and more. And spiritual gifts are just the same. So for most of us, the first step in using our spiritual gift is going to be to learn more about it and to experiment with it. To read books, to search online, to talk to others who've got the same gift, particularly others who are sort of a bit more, we might say, mature in the faith, you know, have had that gift for a number of years and been using it for a while. But most importantly, to actually get out there and practice the thing. You know, trial it. As I used to say to my kids, I used to have this thing with my kids when they're growing up, I'd do this. And they know what that meant. It meant have a go. Have a go. When Paul writes a letter to Timothy, who's a young guy that he's mentoring in the faith, to Timothy 1.6, Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Paul's saying your, your spiritual gift is, is, like a, is like a small fire inside you and you need to kind of fan that to kind of feed that fire if you want to see it really grow and become, you know, become a kind of bonfire that's got some power and some effect. Learn and experiment and practice. Learn and experiment and practice. Learn and experiment and practice. You never grow out of the need to learn and experiment and practice. Micah and I went to the Live Golf Tournament in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago. And we got there about an hour before play started. Do you know where all the professional golfers were an hour before play started? On the practice range. Every single one of them. These are professionals that have been doing, they've hit probably millions of golf balls. And there they all were lined up practicing, hitting balls with their caddies standing behind them, giving them little tips as they went. They'd hit a ball and they'd talk to their caddy and their caddy would point to their knee or their shoulder or something or other and, and you know, they'd make a little tweak and they'd hit another ball. Best players in the world and they're still practising, practising, practising. 
if your spiritual gift is new to you, and I know there were some of us that, you know, this is kind of brand new. If your spiritual gift is new to you, learn about it. Practice it. Don't just imagine that it's just going to kind of happen any more than a primary school kid who's good at football will just think they're going to play for the Crows next week. Learn about it. Practice it. Get into it. Have a go with it. And if your spiritual gift is, like, if this isn't new to you, if you know it, keep practicing. Keep working at it. Keep honing it. Keep learning about it. I want to make a, a, a few sort of, I mean, so, so that's really the main message, right? Is, is just get out there and have a go. There's no tricks to this. There's no magic to this. It's just use it. Use it. Learn it. Uh, you know, and, and kind of reflect on it. You know, you do something just like learning anything. You do something and you go, did that work? Did that not work? But I just want to make a few kind of specific comments about the gifts. Uh, and I want to say this, and this is really important to particularly the way we're doing church here at Tide, that your spiritual gift is not just about you getting involved here on a Sunday morning. Knowing your spiritual gift is not a volunteer recruitment strategy to get people to do things on a Sunday morning. Now, of course, you can use your gift here on a Sunday morning. You know, people with hospitality and encouragement gifts can look out for one another and, and you know, welcome people uh, into the building and into a place in the morning. People with gifts like um, leadership and wisdom and teaching, they can lead our small groups and be involved in, in that sort of space. People with intercession and, and faith gifts, they can, be, you know, they can be praying over others and investing that gift in people when we meet. Um, you know, there's always work to be done in, in setting up and packing up for people with helps, helps gifts or others. And you know, obviously we've got creative people who are leading our worship and things like that. But I want to say this as clearly as I can, that what you do with your gift here on a Sunday morning is just a really small part of the way that God wants to use your spiritual gift whatever your spiritual gift is. Most of us, pretty much all of us, will make the biggest contribution with our spiritual gift outside of what happens in this room on a Sunday morning. Connecting with one another during the week. Loving and serving one another during the week. Praying and leading and teaching and sharing wisdom with one another outside of Sunday morning during the week. I mean, that, that's what it means. You know, when we always say things like church isn't just Sunday morning, you know, church is a community. That's what that means. Is that, is that church, is that your faith doesn't just exist in here on a Sunday morning. It exists out there. The early church wasn't about a weekend gathering. I mean, have you ever noticed that when you read through uh, the New Testament, almost none of the stories happen within the context of a weekly gathering. Almost none of them. In fact, if you, got, if you didn't know anything about the church and you just read the New Testament, you would hardly know that they gathered once a week. And they did. But you'd certainly not read the New Testament and go, wow, it was all about a weekly meeting, would you? The early church was a community of people who were committed to God, uh, to loving God and to serving God and to doing life with one another, all of life with one another, not just on a couple of hours once, on, once a week. So what we're reading about spiritual gifts, the things that Paul and Peter and others are writing about spiritual gifts, they're not writing about what happens in a meeting like this. They're writing about what happens as we do life together. 
every spiritual gift will find its biggest contribution outside of the Sunday morning context. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing, I want to make a couple of comments about the miraculous gifts. Now, the Bible doesn't call them miraculous gifts, but we often call them miraculous gifts. Talking about things like tongues and interpretation of tongues, healing and miracles, exorcism, those sort of gifts. Because a lot of our spiritual gifts kind of make sense with our personality. I don't know if you noticed that, but a lot of people, lots of our gifts, they kind of connect with who we already know that we are. I have a teaching gift, and when I first discovered that, it was really no kind of surprise to me. I've always loved, even before I was a Christian, I've always loved teaching other people and helping other people to understand stuff and grow in that way. When I became a Christian, long before I did this sort of upfront stuff, and even I was just a, a kind of an early Christian, when I would read the Bible, I would just naturally want to share with other people what I was reading and what I was learning. So when I discovered that I have a teaching gift, it was really kind of no surprise to me. And to other people who knew me, they went, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I can see that in you. But for most of us, the miraculous gifts are different because there's nothing in our life that really points to those kinds of gifts. I mean, no one says, I loved French. I love learning French at primary school. Maybe I have the gift of tongues. You know, you just don't do that. No one says, I wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid. Maybe I've got the gift of healing. It doesn't work like that. The only way really to know that you've got those miraculous gifts is to actually do them and see what happens. And so I just want to say to people really clearly, I really want to encourage you to explore those miraculous gifts. Because you're not going to sit here and go, well, I, I guess I, I could have this. You're not going to know you've got those gifts unless you have a go at those and see what the Spirit of God does inside you. Talk to people who've got those gifts. There are people in this space who've got those gifts. Talk to people who've got those gifts and learn about them. Take opportunities to explore them. Put yourself in a place where you can be exposed to those gifts. What I mean by that is sometime on a Sunday, sometimes on a Sunday morning, someone will say, look, something's going on in my life. Could you pray for healing? And a bunch of people will gather around that person and pray for healing. If you're in that circle, don't step out of it because you think, well, I'm a bit scared of the healing thing. Explore those things. Take opportunities. If people, are, if people are praying in tongues, if people are talking about gifts of faith and things, find out about those things. Explore those things and just, because you never know what's sitting inside you that you just, haven't, like, you just haven't explored it and so you don't know what God's put inside you. Does that make sense? And I want to say, don't be afraid of the miraculous gifts. I often meet people who are a bit like, particularly if you're, depending what kind of, if you've been around church or, or if you haven't, sometimes, you know, people start speaking in tongues or people start talking about healing. For some people, that can be a bit weird and it can be a bit like, oh, you know. Don't be afraid of the miraculous gifts. When God does the miraculous, it is a beautiful and a powerful thing and it's a really important part of any church community and we certainly want it to be a part of what we're doing here at Tide. So I really want to encourage you, um, explore the miraculous gifts and have a go when you've got an opportunity to. I also want to say about the miraculous gifts that they're just like any other gifts. You know, they're not like kind of the normal gifts and then there's these, these kind of super gifts. God gifts us in all sorts of ways. 
There's nothing magical when I say special about those miraculous gifts. They're just other gifts that God gives us. So the message I want to leave with you today is, as I said, is to go and use your gifts. Learn about them, test them, explore them. I know, particularly for some of our younger people, when you looked at that assessment, uh, there were lots of people who said, well, I've got, I've got like a, a whole bunch of gifts that are all kind of look similar. If you've got three or four or five or eight or ten, have a go at all of them and just see what rises to the top. You know, you will. If, if you explore you know, a whole bunch of things, which particularly for those of you young, very young people, particularly as younger people, you've got opportunity to do that. explore a bunch of things and you'll, see, you'll find that some will sort of rise to the top more than others. When followers of Jesus use their gifts, empowered by the Holy Spirit, amazing things can happen in the church and in the world. I mean, most of the most fantastic things that the church has ever been a part of, that we've ever seen God do through the world, is because someone, somewhere, or a small group of people stood up and took a risk to use their gifts. You know, churches get started, ministries get started, organisations get started, lives get changed because people use their gifts. It's as simple as that. Luke tells a story about a time when Jesus gathered together 72 of his followers and he sent them out essentially to practice ministry. He calls them together, he sends them out. He doesn't say to use their gifts, but that's what he's doing. It's Luke chapter 10 for those who are writing notes. The Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and to place he was about to visit. Right? So he's about to go to region. He sends them out ahead of him. 72 people, two by two, 36 groups. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Jesus sends out these followers ahead of him and he says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. He said there's a massive opportunity ahead of us. He said I'm sending you out uh, like lambs among wolves. He's saying but it's going to be hard. Massive opportunity but this is going to be hard. And he goes on uh, in the story when you read Luke 10 to give them a bunch of really specific instructions about how they're to act in the towns that they go to. But I want to jump ahead to the part of the story where those 72 come back to Jesus and report what has happened. It's verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The disciples come back going, Jesus, it was awesome. It was all, we saw all this amazing stuff happen. We even, see, we even saw demons submitting to your name. And then Jesus says these words, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's something that happens in heaven when followers of Jesus use their gifts on earth. I don't actually understand how that works. I don't actually understand exactly what Jesus saw. I don't think anyone does understand exactly what Jesus saw or, or how that works. But Jesus makes the point really clearly that when his followers went out and kind of used their gifts, when they took a risk and went out in ministry, something when they did things here on earth, something powerful was happening in heaven. 
God hasn't given you spiritual gifts for your personal amusement. God hasn't given me gifts so that I can feel good about myself. He certainly hasn't given you and I gifts so that we can put them on a shelf and go, yeah, look, I've got a gift that's sitting over there. God hasn't given us gifts just so that we can keep a Sunday gathering like this going. God has given us gifts. He's put the Holy Spirit inside us so that we can change the world. And I know that it sounds silly to say that a little group of people like this can change the world, but honestly... That's how the world gets changed. When followers of Jesus will take a risk and say, you know what, me plus the Holy Spirit is a majority. You've heard that said before? You know, whatever situation you go into, you plus God is all you need. And when followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will take a risk and use the gift that God has put inside them, lives get changed. And communities get changed and ultimately the world gets changed. Something happens here and something happens in heaven.